This afternoon I may proclaim to you the word of the Lord as we have it in the fourth commandment. <clears throat> so in connection with that, I'd like to read with you from Scripture from a couple of places. First, Exodus chapter 16, and then Hebrews 3 and 4. Exodus 16, the verses 11 through 31. Exodus 16, beginning at verse 11, where the word of our God reads as follows. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall, shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it was that quails came up at evening and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need, one omer for each person according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. Then the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. And Moses said, let no one leave any of it till morning. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses. But some of them left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. So they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need. And when the sun became hot, it melted. And so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today, and boil what you will boil, and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up until morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink, nor were there any worms in it. Then Moses said, Eat that today. For today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and keep my laws? See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place, 
let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. And the house of Israel called its name manna. And it was like white coriander seed, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. <clears throat> we turn ahead to the New Testament, to the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 3. Hebrews 3, beginning at verse 12. And we read to chapter 4, verse 13. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 3, beginning at verse 12, <clears throat> where God's word reads, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? <clears throat> and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day, saying in David, after today, after such a long time as it has been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, 
and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We now consider the summary and confession of the church in Lord's Day 38 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 38, which you find on page 554 of your Book of Praise. Here the church echoes the word of God in this way. What does God require in the fourth commandment? First, that the ministry of the gospel in the schools be maintained, and that especially on the day of rest, I diligently attend the church of God to hear God's word, to use the sacraments, to call publicly upon the Lord, and to give Christian offerings for the poor. Second, that all the days of my life I rest from my evil works, let the Lord work in me through his Holy Spirit, and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. After the proclamation of God's word, we'll sing Psalm 42, stanzas 1, 2, 3, and 5. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what does God require in the fourth commandment? Well, there are many different ways that this question is answered, more today than ever before. For some, God requires you to worship him on the seventh day of the week. For others, it's the first. And there are still other opinions among Christians of different stripes. There's a lot of controversy surrounding the observance of the Sabbath. And yet I dare say there is at least a consensus that what God requires in the fourth commandment is our time. There is agreement that God requires us to set aside time every week exclusively for him. He requires us to rest in him. But for some, the whole matter of resting in God, devoting time to him, is actually what makes Christianity a turnoff. When Bill Gates was asked why he didn't believe in God, he replied, just in terms of allocation of time resources, religion is not very efficient. There's a lot more I could be doing on a Sunday morning. The worship of God demands too much of our time, he says. But for the church, the fourth word of the covenant testifies to God's abundant mercy. In his great mercy, he gives attention here in this commandment to our whole life. He speaks about rest, about setting aside time for him, but he also speaks about work. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. God has ordained for us in our busy, often tired and overworked lives a rhythm, a rhythm of work and rest. 
For he knows who we are. He knows the premium we place on our time. He knows how often we even consider our time more precious than our God. If only I had one extra day this week, then I could really stay on top of things. Or if only I had more time to spend with my family. In the fourth commandment, the Lord God teaches us how we can actually let go of our craving for time. He gives us a day once every seven days to refresh us physically, spiritually. Well, for you to confess that fact and then to cherish and to observe that day is to acknowledge that you don't depend on time but on God. It's to acknowledge that you trust God enough to rest one day in seven and devote your time to him, to enjoy him. I preach to you this word of the Lord. Observe the Lord's day by learning to rest. We'll consider three things. First, the matter of physical rest. Secondly, spiritual rest. And thirdly, eternal rest. So first, physical rest. The fourth commandment provides explicit instructions for keeping the Sabbath holy. And how the Lord begins those explicit instructions is a bit counterintuitive. He He begins by considering what he wants us to do with the other days of the week. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. The fourth commandment prescribes not only a day of rest, it also commands us to work. There's something to this. You can't make sense of the command to rest unless you first wrestle with the command to work. Keeping the Lord's day holy begins with working hard the rest of the week. And so we need to consider our duty to work six days on, one day off. People generally have a fairly negative attitude about work. It's a necessary necessary evil, a means to an end, where you work to survive. You need to work to earn an income, pay off the mortgage, save up for a holiday. And so because of this prevailing attitude toward work, people are often grateful for the arrival of the weekend. What did the scriptures say? The Lord Jesus once said, My Father is working until now, and I am working. John 5, 17. The God of scripture, brothers and sisters, is a working God. And that's not to say that work is toil for God. Work rather is an expression of his creativity, his joy, his strength. And the work of God is a model for humanity. The God who works makes people in his image. One of the commands the Lord gave in paradise was, have dominion over fish, birds, livestock, all the earth. 
God gave man dominion, and to exercise dominion involves work. The Lord specifically instructed Adam in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. <clears throat> we were made to work. God gave us six whole days to fulfill our earthly tasks. <clears throat> and if it isn't clear already, <clears throat> to be a burden, consider also this. Adam and Eve were called to work, not so that they could get food. Genesis 2, verse 16. <clears throat> and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. In other words, before Adam ever put his shovel in the ground, God already promised him and his wife an abundance of food. So it wasn't the case that they worked for food, but rather they had food, so they worked. The trouble is that after the fall into sin, that all changed. Genesis 3, verse 17, God said to Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. And God expelled man from that glorious garden. Now mankind was apportioned an existence in a cursed creation where now he would have to work, toil, sweat for food. And so fallen man was expelled from God's glorious rest. Well, of course, that was not the end of the story. God promised that he would graciously remove the curse that lay both upon men and the world. He promised to do so through the forgiveness of sins and that by the shedding of blood. <clears throat> In his grace, the Lord promised a seed of the woman who had bruised the serpent's head while having his own heel bruised. Yes, he promised a redeemer who by, his <clears throat> who by his work, his blood, sweat, and tears, he would definitively restore the principle of paradise, the principle of eat to work, eat and enjoy rest to those in covenant with God. <clears throat> God promised that he as father would provide so that his people could enjoy rest. And before God's people ever got to the cross, they saw this, Exodus 16. God's people had been slaves in Egypt, worked to the bone. They lived in a culture that didn't observe a day of rest. And so they sweat and toiled day after day. They had to in order to eat. Well, what did the Lord do? He delivers them from Egypt, takes them into the desert, where they grumbled for lack of food. In response, God said to Moses, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And that bread we read together was manna. 
And what was so <clears throat> what was so noteworthy about this manna was the way God gave it. It didn't come by Israel cultivating the desert soil, planting seed for it to grow. Now, to be sure, they didn't have time for this as daily they moved on from one location to the next. But even so, the point is, manna didn't come through man's effort. Instead, God rained down bread from the heavens. He was impressing upon his people. <clears throat> God was impressing. Your physical sustenance comes from me. <clears throat> so when it comes to our work, God's teaching remains the same. It's not because you work that you eat. Instead, God promises to supply you with your daily bread, and so you work. You do this fully confident that God will daily provide. And so the Lord continued to speak with Moses. <clears throat> he said that this manna was not going to fall from the heavens every day. Six days it would come. <clears throat> but on the sixth day, they had to gather a double measure. For the Lord commanded, tomorrow is a Sabbath a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Israel was not to gather on the Sabbath because they were not to work on the Sabbath. Verse 29 of Exodus 16. See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. The people obeyed and rested on the seventh day. <clears throat> Well, brothers and sisters, we learn from this that even before the Lord God gave the ten words, his people observed a weekly day of rest. And on that day, they did not go hungry. God impressed upon his people, you don't work in order to eat, for I will supply. And God's supply was sufficient. <clears throat> On those six days, <clears throat> any leftover manna from the day before would rot, for Israel had to trust that tomorrow God would supply again. But Israel had to gather double on the sixth day and trust that it would not rot the next day. And on the seventh day, it didn't rot. <clears throat> Therefore, God made it absolutely clear. <clears throat> Six days you work, but the seventh is special. It's a day when you don't have to work. It's a day when you may not work. For God supplies your daily bread apart from you working. And so... When we hear the fourth commandment, we can make sense of what it means to rest from work. Brothers and sisters, whether it's for God's old or new covenant people, embedded in the fourth commandment is the Lord's vow to care for our daily needs. We don't work to live, for we are not self-sufficient. God purposely 
created us with limitations. And God owns everything, and it's up for him to then give and take as he wills. And so we don't have to work seven days a week to fend for ourselves. God is not like the tyrannical slave masters in Egypt who worked Israel to death. God cares deeply about our physical well-being. And so by telling us that we may not work all seven days of the week, God wants wants to teach us to trust in him for everything. He wants to teach us to accept what it means for us to be the creatures and not the creator. The fourth commandment impresses on us God's care and power. It teaches us that we don't depend on our own blood, sweat, and tears, but we depend upon God and his care for us. And so you see why at the creation of the world, God established a rhythm of six days for work, one for rest. It's not by work, by might, by power that we live, but by God's gracious provision. That goes the same for the paid worker as it does for the homemaker, student, the disabled, and the unemployed. All live by grace, by the God who looks after our needs. And so we have to show that we actually trust God cares for us by resting on Sunday from our daily labor. So we have to resist the temptation to bring our daily work into the Sunday. Uh, To be sure, the church has always recognized that some work is necessary, works of necessity, works of mercy, but one day of the week is for rest. Observing the Sabbath day by resting on it. That's a confession of trust in God for everything. We need to trust that God has given us enough time during the week to do the things he's called us to do during the week. And so, even though it's summer, students among us, what about homework on Sundays? In the fourth commandment, God tells you, do your schoolwork diligently in six days and then believe I will bless your efforts. The worker should rest from his business, resist taking calls or checking emails, stay off the clock, keep the agenda shut, and believe God will bless the work you've done during the week. You work six days and trust that God will supply you in a way that brings glory to him. The housewife should rest from her housework, consider preparing meals the day before, or even, and I tread carefully, the husband offer to prepare dinner for the Sunday. At the very least, beloved, our work, according to scripture, must not have any kind of dominion over us. We structure, order our week with Sunday in mind, 
We diligently plan ahead so that there is time for our weekly rest and refreshment in the scriptures. How else can you take full advantage of all that God gives you on the Sunday? Our culture increasingly treats Sunday just like any other day. It's turned the sacred into the secular, the privilege into the profane. Let Sunday for you not be a day where work enslaves you in any measure, but where worship encourages you and rejuvenates you. God gives us a day of rest to refresh us so that we can take up our tasks for the week ahead. And so believe that God actually fills your every need. Observe the Lord's day by learning to rest. And that takes us to our second point where we see the aspect of spiritual rest. The rest that God gives brothers and sisters is not only a break in the week for the good of the body, it bears an even deeper significance. God set the Sabbath apart so that he would enjoy the goodness of his creative work, especially the goodness of fellowship with those he created in his image. The Sabbath marks the fact that God delights in fellowship with his people. The rest that the Sabbath points to is not only rest from Egypt, but the rest that his people would know in the promised land. And for God's people then and now, deliverance from Pharaoh was a symbol of deliverance from sin and Satan in order to enjoy the peace of God. The Sabbath is the sign of God's covenant with his people. It marked God's sovereign claim on the Israelites as his own. They were to be a Sabbath-keeping nation to enjoy God's presence. <clears throat> and so the fourth commandment says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Israel's regular observance of the weekly holy day marked them out as a people belonging to God in distinction from the pagan nations around them. That's what it meant to be holy set apart for God. So, for the Lord to set apart the Sabbath day as his holy day, what does that mean? It means he's set it apart for worship. Something he revealed, for example, in Leviticus 23. <clears throat> Six days shall work be done, <clears throat> but on the seventh day, is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. And that ought not to surprise us. God gave one day in seven as a day of rest, a day that clearly proclaims God's sufficient care of us. This tells us that this is not really our day. Instead, it's a day to give undivided attention to the God who supplies. It's a day to devote our thoughts and our energies to the God whose care we live by day after day. 
<clears throat> it comes then as little surprise that the Apostle John refers to the day of rest as the Lord's day. <clears throat> it's a day God commanded his covenant people to spend in his presence, a day of sacred assembly. And so we confess in Lord's Day 38 that it is God's will for us that especially on the day of rest, I diligently attend the church of God specifically to hear God's word in the tabernacle, <clears throat> later the temple, Sabbath after Sabbath, there was proclamation. Sacrifices were offered to the Lord daily, to be sure, but on the Sabbath, there were twice as many sacrifices. Numbers 28, verse 9 and following. The Old Testament sacrifices were the means by which God proclaimed to his people that they didn't have to die for their sins. Another would die on their behalf. This was the gospel that Israel heard and saw every week. God weakly nourished his people with his word that held out the promise of forgiveness of sins through the shed blood of a mediator. <clears throat> it goes the same for us today. As God called the, for the full devotion of his people in the Old Testament on the Sabbath, so it goes for New Testament worshipers. It is among the assembly of God's people that we hear God's word, that instruction about the forgiveness of sins through the shed blood of Christ. <clears throat> we are called to set aside Sunday, to commit ourselves to resting in the triune God because we don't belong to ourselves, but to Christ, the Lord's day. That's the day Christ takes us to our Father and feeds us with the Holy Spirit's food for our souls, the preaching of the gospel and the sacraments. There is then simply nothing better you can do on the Lord's day <clears throat> than assemble to worship your covenant God and receive his means of grace. Someone once wrote, never be absent from God's house on Sundays without good reason. <clears throat> never to miss the Lord's Supper when administered in your own congregation, never to let your place be empty when means of grace are going on. This is one way to be a growing and prosperous Christian. The very sermon that we needlessly miss may contain a precious word in season for our souls. The very assembly for prayer and for praise from which we stay away may be the very gathering that would have cheered and established and quickened our hearts. <clears throat> Observing the day of rest reminds us of God's claim upon our lives. He's made us and he's redeemed us. And so we are to dedicate our lives to him in worship by not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. It's in our worship that our Lord offers true rest to those who receive him. And so for us to work 
and to make this day serve our schedules. Instead of giving God his due, we trample upon our Lord. You show so little regard for God, <clears throat> so little regard for the Christ who redeemed us, who requires but one day of the week for us to put aside our own entertainments, our own preoccupations, and set apart the day to worship God. Sunday is family time. It's where covenant God calls us to worship Him as His children, to enjoy spiritual rest and refreshment in Him. It's here where many Christians want to know what they can and cannot do on a Sunday. Can we watch TV, <clears throat> go on the internet, play with our gadgets? Can we play frisbee or soccer or take the canoe or boat to fish on the lake? Can we change our clothes? Can we go to a restaurant or to a sports event? And the list goes on. <clears throat> we don't want to be pharisaical here. Families need to make wise, godly decisions. Decisions bathed in prayer. <clears throat> but let us not ask these questions because we want to know sort of what we can get away with before actually breaking the fourth commandment. If we are looking for a loophole in the commandment, in the day of rest, then we miss the point of the fourth word of the covenant altogether. Sunday isn't our day, it's the Lord's day. It's a day set apart to glorify your God in worship. When you and I try to make room for our own pleasures, then we miss out on the greatest pleasure of all, and that is worshiping, meditating upon the living, mighty, <clears throat> caring God, enjoying rest, enjoying fellowship with Him in a manner that pleases Him. He gives spiritual rest for our souls. He has worked out our salvation. He made purification for our sins, and he cried out, it is finished. By that, <clears throat> he assured you and me that he can provide what he promised when he said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. We strive, <clears throat> we strive neither for our livelihood nor for our salvation. All we may do is rest in the finished work of Christ alone. We depend upon that work, not our own work. We need to learn to develop a restful attitude in our work and in our rest. So we come to our final point where we see <clears throat> the matter of eternal rest. 
Christ brings spiritual rest to us. He calls the weary, calls the heavy laden to him for rest. Yet, beloved, in that invitation, the Lord shows to us the heavenly nature of his rest. The Lord's day today doesn't yet offer us the full satisfaction and joy that we will know in our final rest. There is anticipation in today's celebration. Ultimate rejuvenation awaits in the resurrection. And for proof of that, just think of the seventh day of the first week. On that seventh day, something is purposely missing. In contrast to the previous six days, there is no mention on the seventh day of that cycle of evening and morning. The seventh day on which God rested signified an eternal character to that day. And so you and I rightly confess in Lord's Day 38 that the fourth commandment requires you to be far more than just Sunday Christians. All the days of my life, I rest from my evil works. Let the Lord work in me through his Holy Spirit and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. The Lord requires you to rest from your evil works. Yes, it's what we read together in Hebrews 3 and 4. The author there describes the future rest that awaits those who believe. He illustrates the point by referring to the Israelites in the desert. Those who rebelled against God never entered the promised land. They didn't believe. That's a warning for us that if we don't believe, we may not have confidence in future rest, in God's rest. That rest is only for those who, as the author implies, combine the message they hear with faith. Faith in the Son of God, faith worked out and inwardly by the Holy Spirit through the message, through the preaching, through the sacraments. That's Sunday, day of rest activity. The hope of eternal life, eternal perfect rest that has no ending awaits believers. It's a rest where perfect love will cast out all our fears. It's a rest provided for us, prepared for us by our Savior who will wipe away every tear. It's a rest where there will be no more sin or suffering or pain or separation or loneliness. It's a rest that we taste already today in Christ. Yes, to be with Christ is better by far, but through the Spirit who works faith through the means of grace, you already know the gift of eternal rest. Therefore, you begin in this life already, the eternal Sabbath, as you not only cease from disobedience, but also let God alone work in you so that you do nothing for yourself, but for him. Brothers and sisters, consider this picture. A man was approached by a beggar looking for change. 
The man reached into his pocket and found seven dollars. He felt sorry for the beggar, so he held out six dollars and said, Here you go. That beggar not only took the six dollars, but with his free hand, he slapped the man across the face and grabbed the seventh. What do you think of that beggar? Well, ungrateful, we would say. Well, then what about a sinner saved by the grace of Christ who insists on taking seven days a week or even six and a half for himself? Brothers and sisters, thanks be to God for what he has done, what he does do for us. He saved us and he sanctifies us for himself. And so learn to respond to him by resting in him, worshiping him, as we heard this morning. Through the spirit, he turns you away from your own cares to his care for you. Through the Spirit, he enables you to more and more put away your own pleasures and find pleasure in him. He's making you ready, fit to enter into eternal rest. And so, observe the Lord's day by learning to rest in him. Amen.